Welcome to Data Science Mixer, the podcast featuring top experts in lively and informative conversations that will change the way you do data science. I'm Susan Curry Civic, the data science journalist for the Alteryx community. And for today's happy hour conversation, I had a cup of tea with Kristen Werner, a director of data science and engineering at Snowflake, who focuses on IT and security. If you're into data science, you know how cool Snowflake is. We're big fans too. And in fact, we just formed a partnership so you can seamlessly use Alteryx and Snowflake together. Kristen also has a doctorate in neurobiology and behavior and was a researcher before getting into data science. Her background gives her a really interesting perspective on the field. I was working in a lab at Princeton and then I started working at Facebook and everything's kind of gone from there. I've kind of data science, data engineering and used Snowflake a couple times before I started working here and yeah. Well, so it was destiny coming back to Snowflake. Very cool. I love that. Just a couple of other kind of quick introductory things. If you don't mind sharing, could you tell us which pronouns you use? Oh, she, her. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Kristen and I actually completed the same data science program called Insight Data Science, which helps PhDs move from academia to industry. We'll touch on that briefly as we also get into her fascination with the human brain and the parallels between biology and data science concepts like neural nets and A-B testing, and how data engineering and automation can enhance the human experience of being a data scientist. Let's get started. As you know, we like to enjoy a special drink or maybe a snack while we're chatting. So do you have something there with you as we're talking today? I do. I'll tell you, in the morning, I was excited. I was thinking I was going to have a glass of, of wine, and I've really gotten into orange wine during the pandemic. Ooh, but nice. you know, I have a few more evening meetings tonight, so I'm mm. having ginger turmeric tea from a ah. place in Berkeley. So yeah, Nice. That sounds delicious. Very cool. Yeah, I have to actually go run a couple of errands, so I too am having something not too adventurous, just some sparkling water with some grapefruit bitters in it, which is Ooh. very tasty. Yeah. That's- that, I like that. I'll try that. Yeah, I didn't know if I would like grapefruit that much, but it turns out to be really good. So, yay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds delicious. Yeah. Awesome. So I would love to come back to your path toward data science a little bit and how you got into the field. You mentioned that you have this super interesting background in neurobiology and behavior. I noticed also that you've done vaccine research in the past. How did all of that lead you toward data science? Yeah, that's (laughs) vaccine research was so long ago. Yeah, Um, it's awesome. I mean, how contemporary right now, though? Gosh, I know. You know, it's 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 can pull that back out of my history. I've I've actually talked to a couple people about vaccine uh, development from my experience. But yeah, so my my science journey was very. You know, I, I come from a family of academics, and I. You know, I thought I wanted to work on cancer biology. I was in love with the city of Seattle. I applied to an intern program, an internship program. I got drafted into a neuroscience lab. And that woman's name was Linda Buck, who went on to win the Nobel Prize in medicine and physiology for um, discovering how the sense of smell is, is transduced through neurons. Wow. And she really influenced my decision to go into neuroscience. So I gave immunology, you know, a, a good try, and so I actually ended up at Karolinska Institute. I think, as part of my senior thesis, I was doing mm-hmm. research at the Karolinska Institute, which is in Stockholm, and that's where I worked on, you know, vaccine development. But I, I was still drawn back to neuroscience. I just, I, it's like one of these really big final frontiers of biology of simply 
understanding how the brain works. Mm-hmm. You know, someone told me the story once about you know, in an interview, a neuroscientist came around his desk, put a sticky note on his shoe, and then went back to the other side of his desk. And he goes, "You'll never forget that I did that. There's no reason for me to put a sticky note on your shoe. You'll never forget that I did that." And that's what makes the brain so interesting. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, that's why we said, I was like, that, that's so true. And now I, not only will that person never forget the sticky note, I will never forget the random story about the sticky note. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I just found the brain like just like such an interesting space to work in. Cause there was so much that was unknown. And, and I, 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 didn't really get away from that until you start to see the career paths that are available. And I think this happened, I kind of see myself now as this like particular class of data scientist or data engineer that, you know, really enjoyed problem solving and getting deep into technical work and learning new techniques to solve problems that are on the path to, to, you know, the thing you're interested in. As you look down the path of applying for, you know, jobs at, at any school that has an opening and potentially years of being on the job market. You, know, you can and and insight data science was was just coming on on the radar i think when when i learned about it from someone who had been at stanford and so you know i i, I thought i have all these i actually have all these options right it's not just yeah. apply for a, a professorship for until i get one somewhere that i is a place where i also might want to live or maybe i won't ever get a job in a place where i want to live and I didn't have kids at the time and I didn't, it was me and my dog and my bike and my coffee machine. And so I, was like, I can go out to California for a few weeks and try this out. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And a also few weeks. Yeah. A few <laughs> weeks. Like I can do this insight thing. My dog loves the beach. It'll be great. Um, and, and I'll also say like something that my, my mom didn't get at the time. I was like, Oh, data scientist. I was like, I'm a scientist. I work with data. This must be the industry term for people like me. Mm. Um, I had no idea that it was kind of this new thing that was one of, that you know folks were looking to to revolutionize how we do business. So I think that you know probably long story short, the, that that's kind of how I, I got into it and, and and got to Insight. And you know Insight really really helped helped from there. I know you're also an alum, so you can yeah. appreciate that journey. For um, sure. Yeah. I'm certainly a recovering academic as well. So I definitely, <laughs> definitely understand that perspective. And I think it's so interesting, particularly with your, your history in neuroscience. And, and this may be a totally dumb question, so feel free to just be like, no. But I wonder if things like neural networks and some of these ways that AI has tried to mimic the structure of the brain, have those been of particular interest to you? Or have you mainly focused on other kinds of issues as you've moved on in your career? I'll tell you, so, so I do find it interesting, the links between a lot of popular techniques and industry mm-hmm. back to like the, the, the history of, you know, the, the, of the areas that I studied. And right. so not just neural nets, but like also AB testing. Hmm. So I worked with fruit flies and C. elegans, the little lab worms, oh, yeah. nematodes, and Genetic analysis, mutant analysis, comparing one mutant to another is one of the first places that A-B testing was used. How do you statistically evaluate the difference between mutant A and mutant B from, from a wild type? And, and kind of neural nets also, like, you know, think about how when you're trying to identify networks in a, in a culture of, of neurons or in an animal system, 
I think in terms of the application of neural nets, I haven't really gotten into that too deeply in industry. I think one of the big things that I've focused on in industry that comes from my work in, in biology specifically is creating clarity in, from a very ambiguous space. Sure. And I would say <laughs> creating clarity in neural nets and interpretability is very hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in industry, when you're trying to move very quickly, if you're not doing an application of neural nets that, that requires it, that requires sort of deep learning or that sort of advanced technology, then you usually don't do it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of been my, my experience with, with kind of you know, linked concepts. I think, I think the ambiguity of biology and trying to bring clarity to that has actually been the most powerful experience that I, I, I bring with me. That's awesome. And I'd love to come back to that in a little bit. But first, I have to say, I love that A-B testing started with the study of mutants. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm not going to claim to be like an ultimate historian if, if something else, like, but it's one of the very original applications for, for, for that, for A-B testing. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Very cool. So just to kind of spoil things for our audience, sometimes we do talk a little bit before we actually record. And one thing that you mentioned to me in that previous conversation was that you feel like you have a recovering data scientist perspective in your current role, and maybe a little bit, especially around data engineering. Would you be willing to talk about that a little bit and what that means to you? Yeah, totally. And I, I, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel alone in this either. You know, I, I'm not alone as an academic in industry, and I don't think I'm alone as a recovering data scientist either. Kind of, kind of starting out in, in 2014, you know, and you still see it today. Working at Snowflake, you, you see, I'm sure Altrix as well. You see a lot of companies just trying to get a handle on data, right? Sure. And the instinct is to like, you know, hire hire some data scientists or some data analysts and just they'll solve your problems for you. They'll, they'll do one of two things. They'll solve your problems or they'll just bring data to the table and tell you you're right all the time. <laughs> Neither of those things is going to happen, right? <laughs> if, you, right. if you just bring a data scientist. And I think for me, you know, my experience is like long running queries where it's, you know, if you don't have query, if, you, if you're running queries and you don't have results returned back to you within seconds, it can be incredibly hard to do fast and iterative exploratory analysis, you know, you to, to understand like what's the next step. Even if you're, I remember having this experience of trying to like quality check data, but the queries were taking 30 minutes to run. And it became, it was very hard for me to think about what had I checked, what I had not checked. Like how, how do I even think about this? And, and when is it ever going to end? You know? Sure. Um, <laughs> and so this idea of like of automation and simplification and, and commodification of common processes became super, super appealing to me. And I think, so now, you know, I, I never want to throw a data scientist on a, a problem or, you know, or, or an analyst without making sure that the infrastructural support is there, like the data engineering is there. And I think I have this sense that if, if, if five and 10 years ago, people didn't know what, what to hire in a data scientist, like, is it a mathematician or is it a physicist or who can you hire for this role? I feel like data engineering might be in a similar spot today hmm. where there are a lot of data engineering classically who have done ingest and hmm. some rudimentary structuring, but this idea of like analytics engineering or prep work that helps enable data science specifically, 
I'd really like to see that become more acknowledged and brought to the forefront as a critical part of any data team or, or the data stack that a company is developing. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I, I want to come back to this idea of your long running queries where it was hard to keep track of that train of thought. It kind of reminds me of you know sending a spaceship out and having that communication delay where it's hard to carry on that conversation because you're waiting for the other person to reply. Yeah. You know, you're waiting to get the data, waiting to get the response. What are some challenges right now that you've seen in easing that process and speeding that up? Yeah, so I, I think there are a lot of tools in this space that are seeking to sort of structure and and you know commodify parts of that, you know, that supply chain from you have data in your warehouse, now you need to have now, how do you create business value from that? Mm-hmm. You see a lot of apps kind of building in this space. How do you make your data model good? How do you make it self-serve? How do you make it end user friendly? You know, every company is made up of different different types of people, different types of roles, and and you know, the evolution of any given data stack can happen in a different way. So I think like for me, I have a very specific taste of what I want to build, and I tend to build over buy a lot of times. So it's good, to, but it's always good to have that discussion. What what can you buy to solve your, your your data stack problem, and what what should you build custom? But I think it's always good to take a step back and say like, what are the common processes that we need to standardize, and what are what are things that need to be manual yet we don't understand well enough to to build the right thing or to buy the right thing. And so you understand what problem you're solving in the data stack, like kind of hold off and then get the right solution. I think very often, you know, folks just want to get to insights so quickly that there's not a lot of thought put into this middle middle process. So, so I think, you know, I, I don't want to enumerate all the players out there, but there are definitely like, you know, pipelining and, you know, some data viz mm-hmm. tools want to, you know, help organize data. So yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think there's, I don't know if that's a clear enough answer. <laughs> Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I think part of that is actually going back to your previous point about bringing clarity to ambiguity, right? You have to figure out what the problems are in order to figure out what the right tools and solution might be to address this kind of problem. Exactly. Like, Not everyone's going to have this 30-minute query problem, right? You got to have sure. a lot of data for, for that to become an, become an yeah. issue. But you might have a data consistency problem, right? Mm. You might have, you know, you're trying to report sales metrics to marketing and finance. How do you make sure that the sales metrics are going to, you know, be coherent with what somebody over in marketing is trying to measure or what somebody mm-hmm. over in finance is trying to measure? Like, you know, how do you create that that global view? I think that's a problem a lot of folks have. And so how does your infrastructure support that? And how does it support it today? How does it support it when you're at, you know, 200 people, 500 people, 10,000 people, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Like, I always want to ask those questions today. Like, what happens when we're 10,000 people? Would we solve this the same way? Yeah, that's a great question. Talk to me a little more about this issue of data consistency, because I think that's one that, particularly for those organizations that are growing and adding more people, having, you know, maybe a different departmental structure as they grow. What are some ways that you've seen that dealt with effectively or or maybe failures? <laughs> yeah, I, I think the earlier you can have a concept of, like core metrics at a company, probably the better. But what I've seen in multiple instances is that, you know, you get a product or, or a product team or, or company 
and they have a few folks who are kind of interested in data. You, know, you, you start collecting data in a data warehouse because you know that that's a natural thing to do now. And then you write a few ad hoc pipelines and put up a dashboard. But then you have like you know kind of as you're, as you're alluding to, then you have then you hire five more people, and then you hire five more people, and now you have all of those people are creating all their own custom pipelines, and, and you're going to create create. That's where the chaos kind of comes from is is full customization. Hmm. So. I think you know if, if you're still small, but you have an eye on this tech debt and this this you know the goal of of creating at least for your top line metrics a coherent and core data set that everyone can use and everyone should reference. You know, find whoever should, the specialist in the company to own that, or you know, get hire somebody that you know that can at least build, protect, and maintain and socialize a, a core data set. I mean, that's something you can do without having to buy an extra tool or whatever, but just build in that concept of having, you know, sanity amongst the chaos. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. If only we could all achieve sanity among the chaos. That's what just a little saying. sanity. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like if you're B2C, you probably want to have a core space for understanding users. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you're B2B, you want to probably have a core place to understand accounts. And, and no matter what you are, B2B, B2C, that you want to understand revenue, like get those things down, create them once and figure out how to vend them to all the departments that need to understand their, their part of the business with respect to users or accounts or f- revenue. Yeah. So it may be kind of self-evident, but what are some of the benefits of establishing that, that one source of, of data truth? <sighs> yeah, <laughs> you will <laughs> prevent hours and hours of of, of tense meetings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think that's 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 the major yeah. plus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you measure that. Right. I mean, the the way the surfaces right is, and actually, I think this is something I I I think you know always pr- trying to promote data literacy, having leaders that understand the importance of data and, and always, you know, they, they check with their business leaders, but also check with their data leaders for insight. Um, is that, so, so, so what happened, what you see happen is that, you know, two groups are, are reporting numbers that just don't make sense together. They're either reporting, trying to report the same metric and they have a different answer or they're reporting metrics that you just can't reason about together. You know, say if marketing says we have eight million leads and sales is like we addressed you know five hundred and it's like well how do we even make you know <laughs> you yeah, have yeah. Like, how do you make sense of these these numbers together how can you map map the the leads that were addressed to the leads that that are you're saying come in and 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 often you know people look and they're like well our data people just aren't doing their job they're not very good at their jobs go back and fix it go back and clean it up and and so then you have multiple data scientists or analysts and you have multiple you know high level business people breathing down your neck trying to figure out what happened mm-hmm. and i think that's like a terrible use of people's time right yeah <laughs> you know you have five people troubleshooting something if you, if you kind of like just say like come to recognize here are the core things everybody has to relate to these this is what you use whether you're using a platform to develop them or you're you're just creating policy managing it by policy because you're a smaller company if you can agree on that, I think you you remove a lot of this friction and tension around reporting inconsistent numbers. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing about reporting inconsistent numbers is it, you know, people are like, oh, the data data folks aren't doing their jobs. And it's like it, it erodes trust. Ooh, yeah. And and all data really can do, like I had a manager a while back and said, you know, data data doesn't do 
anything except influence. Hmm. So if you if there's no trust, how do you influence? And you really lose power that way. So I think it's it's in everybody's like those are some of the outcomes, right? Like you you maintain trust, the you build the ability to influence. Don't go to you go to fewer tense meetings that are full of friction. <laughs> I, I think that there's a, there's a lot to like, and, and and also you start to you know if if you do this you you find all of your departments and find all of your top line metrics for those different departments and make them reconcilable against each other, you can start to ask these these flywheel questions about you know how does product engagement drive revenue drive company growth right and now you're connecting mm-hmm. product and finance and sales and marketing and asking how can they how can they positively impact one another. And I think that that's that's the that's the real goal that you want to get to. Yeah, that's where you want to spend the time and, and engage in those deep conversations. Yeah, yeah. I think those are all really great insights, and certainly should motivate people to aim for that sort of structure that would allow them to to recognize those benefits. Something else that you mentioned, I'm really curious about. You talked about automating common processes for the data scientist. What's some of the work that you're doing in that area that um, you're finding interesting and rewarding? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the, the great thing about like data engineering as sort of the observer of business and data scientists is like, you know, and, and these are going to sound obvious, but, but I'm going to say it anyway, is like, you know, you see folks are commonly reporting on, you know, one day, seven day and 28 day metrics. There are like multiple ways in SQL that you can express those, those like simple aggregations. And you might also want lifetime metrics, right? And you can think if you see people doing this over and over again, and you're like, you shouldn't have to write that SQL. Like, oh. that's not a good use of your time as a data scientist. But it's not data science, right? Right. right. <laughs> you know, it's and counting things is not trivial. I don't want to belittle that. Counting things is hard. Otherwise, you wouldn't have all these PhDs like you and me in the data <laughs> industry, right? I, I mean, and and so like abstracting away the SQL and into functions auto-generate the, these, these you know, common time series metrics is, is something we've worked on. So, I mean, it's, it's a very basic use case, but, but you, know, you can imagine you're sa- you can save hundreds and thousands of lines of SQL that nobody has to audit, nobody has to write, nobody ha- makes the mistake of, I mean, can you imagine how many times everyone's trying to report on 28-day metrics and some of them are 28 and somebody accidentally you know, doesn't use they use greater than or equal to instead of just greater than, and you get 30 day metrics or 29 day metrics and you don't know it until somebody calls it out in an executive meeting. So I think standardizing, you know, abstracting that away, these really common things people shouldn't have to think about. You shouldn't have to worry about those kind of mistakes, you know, this day and age. So we we kind of Mm -hmm. pull it back into Python functions and store that as a library that folks can call. Um, Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. What are some other things that you're excited about or that you think are really promising in data science or, or data engineering or both right now? I, so I'm, I'm really interested actually, like I, know, I don't want to harp on it too much, but like on bringing, bringing order to the chaos of the data supply chain. So if you, you know, bring your data into a warehouse, how do you get it from you know, warehouse to business value hmm. in an orderly way. And then the use cases of business, like, so, so, you know, we're thinking a lot about like, what are the common ways that data brings business value? One of one, one big question that, you know, that data can answer is like, how do I decide which product to ship at scale? 
and that, that's A-B testing. Well, how you, you can, someone can set up an ad hoc A-B test. They can write the SQL to pull the underlying data. They can, you know, build a, you know, write a, a T-test or a NOVA test, or they can use a package to run that over their resultant data. And they've gotten a one-off result. Right. But you could also create standard, you know, as companies grow, a lot of people are going to ask, you know, does my A-B test impact revenue? Does my A-B test impact daily active users? Like really common metrics, right? That you'd want to know. Yeah. Um, and then, and you also want to know, does my A-B test increase, you know, for us, SQL query performance, but we, we don't want to do that at the, co- at the cost of other key metrics. So, so you could create the standardized underlying table structure or, or transformation pipelines to you know just have the the daily summaries for users or for query performance. If you if you standardize those those tables, the naming conventions and how they're built, then you can build a generalizable A/B test framework on top of that. So everyone doesn't have to rewrite their A/B test, right? So so. That's kind of how you think about it. Like, what's the business value proposition that you're, you're you're fulfilling, and what are the pieces that you can build out that support that? Starting from the data curation side, and I think there's always going to be custom. and And I love that it's problem solving that's specific to your business. But I think if people aren't reinventing the wheel every time with with these other standard processes, I, I think you can you can do more of that than like, okay, well, you know, we have we have deep questions about, you know, security in our ecosystem. We have deep questions about, you know, product feature usage that we can get to more quickly. So. Absolutely. Let's pause for a moment. Kristen has more advice for data scientists on how to bring order to the chaos of data and on how to demonstrate the incredible value of their work. But first, let's hear a little bit about one way you can get your data in better order quickly and easily. Hi, everyone. This is Gaurav Shani. I'm a senior software engineer working on our open source software. Today, I wanted to talk about Woodwork, which is an open source Python library for inferring data types and two-dimensional tabular data structures. Woodwork provides simple interfaces for working with typing information. Woodwork makes it easy to identify proper data types and helps you gain statistical insights. It also helps you prepare your data for machine learning. This library works great with EvalML, an auto-modeling library for Maltrics. Using Woodwork with EvalML provides additional information about the dataset, allowing you to build better machine learning models. You can access all of these projects by visiting github.com slash Furthermore, you can view the Woodwork documentation by visiting woodwork.altrix.com. For updates and tutorials, follow us on Twitter at altrixoss. Thanks so much for those details about Woodwork. And now let's get back to our conversation with Kristen Werner. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen as you've moved into this field? What are some big, either technical changes, structural changes, business changes? What are some big things that you've observed that that you've found intriguing? Gosh. It can be any of those, not all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because it's, 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 so first what I'm going to say is like so much has changed for me um, in the last seven years. I've always kind of looked to workplaces. I, I mean, Facebook 
you know, how, how lucky was I that to, to, to land there to start my career off. And I, I learned so much from them, but, you know, stepping out of Facebook, you see like, it's a rough world in data. And I've tried to pick companies where, where data comes first. I was at a company called Open Door. Data is their product. They, they price homes and, and their success metric is accuracy, right? And, and then Snowflake, right? You know, we're, it's a company that's interested in in making data accessible to all all companies. So I felt really lucky to to work at those companies. But you know, now that we you know do some amount of customer facing work from Snowflake um, and seeing other people bring their data problems to us, it's not an even playing field out there. I, I think there's a clearer idea of what data should do, mm-hmm. kind of globally accepted. Who do you hire? What, when do you need them? Yes, they're a critical part of your staff. But I think you still see people struggling with like, you know, I've, well, I've got my data and I've got my data scientist. Now what? Now the magic happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> solve the problems, right? That's what, um, or they're going to tell me I'm right all the time. I think that's like, I think that there's still a little bit of, and, and so I think, I, I don't know how this change is going forward is like, you need somebody, you need you know, executive sponsorship who either knows how to work with data, knows, knows how to incorporate them into your whole strategy, or is willing to be taught by the practitioners that they hire. Yeah. I think you need that empowerment from the top level. And I think that's something that's not as widespread yet. But I do think mm-hmm. there's a better general acceptance of like the investment in data that people are willing to make. And then they know it's important. They're going to buy these tools to support it. They're going to hire people. But I think, you know, having, getting data and impact in the business, I think is something that folks still struggle with. Sure. So I wanted to ask you a question that we ask all of the guests for this uh, recurring segment that we have now called Alternative Hypothesis. And the question is, what is something that people often think is true about data science or about being a data scientist, but that you think is actually incorrect? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tough one. Yeah. I think I, I, I do, I still get this feeling that there's a large sense that if you hire a data scientist, oh man, they they think you're going to build a a model that, that tells you what to do next. Hmm. And I get it. People talk about predictive um, and prescriptive analytics these days. And, you know, people are upping the ante of buzzwords from ML to AI. And I, 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 I feel like some of the magic has maybe like, you know, is like people are like, oh, right. First you have to count stuff and then you can model yeah. stuff and then you can think about, it. and if your data is good, you know, then you can do these other, other great things as well. But I, I think there's that, that sort of sense from the business side that like you hired a data scientist, so they're going to create models. When I think, you know, data science, I think of is like you hire a data scientist and they're going to help you solve problems through partnership. Hmm. And maybe that requires a model. But no matter what, it always requires taking a step back and analyzing and interpreting that model and, and figuring out how it relates to business and interacting with the business to get feedback, figuring out how, like there, there are human observed things that happen that you know we can't figure out with math and statistics, right? And so I, I think that that's sort of, I, 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 I don't know if this is, for a data scientist, it's probably well accepted. For business people, maybe it's uh, novel and new, but 
Yeah, I think there's still this expectation that there there is some um, magic inherent to data science that there is not. Yeah. yeah, I think some of the media coverage of the field kind of reinforces that too. Yeah, but it keeps us employed, so you know. This. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pluses, minuses, you know. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine people are like, "Oh, data science is magic. We can hire a neuroscientist for this. That's fine. That'll do." You know. <laughs> Do you feel though, I mean, like though your uh, neuroscience background and your background as a researcher, I'm sure there are ways that all of the variety of skills that you cultivated for that role certainly helped you in your current position. Yeah, I also would want to give a nod to to folks who are not in purely quantitative fields or, or, you know, in the more natural sciences. Like I think biology itself has a lot of ambiguity. Hmm. And as a biologist, when I looked at some of the physicists around me, in biology, you might have a team of, of three to five people creating a research paper, writing a journal article together, doing everything end-to-end, writing the proposal to get the money, designing the experiments that are going to help you answer the question, collecting the data, making sure the data you collect is clean, analyzing mm-hmm. the data, figuring out the follow-up experiments you need to run writing writing up the paper submitting it to to journals until you get it done and i i think you know having really hands on end to end to all that process mm-hmm. is is what you do in industry as well yeah yeah as you were talking about it i thought oh we're kind of mirroring the process of collaborative work you know <laughs> the same kinds of things yeah in biology you can't always isolate one variable there's so many things at play mm-hmm. and so i think being able to kind of cut through noise and, and you know, all, all of the extra variables and figuring out what's the simplest possible thing to do that will, that will make the point, I think is a super valuable skill. And I, I really do think there's a lot about hypothesis-driven thinking and work that I think a lot of academics have, but I think in, in biology, the clarity and looking for simplicity in something, you know, as complex as biology is, I think is really, really useful. So I also want to give a nod. I know there are a lot of physicists out there who might not like, <laughs> not like that answer, but I, <laughs> I, I do think there's some, there, there's, there's a lot to be said for, for biologists in the area too, in, in the field too. Yeah, that's awesome. Although as a social scientist, I have to come back and say, I did hear you say something earlier about things we can't solve with math and things we can't necessarily observe through statistics. So that, that stood out to me too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I think you know, sometimes you just gotta go look. You gotta just go ask, right? Um, <laughs> in some of our work at Snowflake, we we were trying to score accounts, and everything was super off. And we went to the sales field, and we we're like, we're like, what do you think? And they're like, your results are terrible. <laughs> we're like, well, that, yeah. Like, how can we think about this? And we we sat down. And we're like, oh my gosh, we picked the wrong outcome variable. Our company has changed. We can't, we can't, you know, they were like, so what we did, we were like, okay, well, this account scored low. You think it should be high. Why is that? And the, and one of the salespeople was like, yeah, I was on that team. We were busy selling to someone else. We couldn't close this account. Like we couldn't spend more, you know, so, but now we can, they were a great candidate. We just didn't have time two years ago. And I was like, oh, wow. well, that's, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I think there's, you know, we, 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 Maybe we would have figured that out one day, but it was just so much easier to talk to somebody. Um. Yeah, yeah. People have information. (laughs) That's cool. I love that story. I mean, they they totally are complementary methods to me, qualitative and quantitative. So I I love hearing that story. It's super important. And actually, just to that, if you don't mind adding, like, there's something... I tell, I tell people a lot about when I try to talk to people about statistics and being data driven, 
because um, it's not an all or nothing deal, right? And um, a friend of mine, she she kind of navigated the academia to, to industry path with me. And she gave me this example. So, you know, if you knew with 99.9% confidence that you you drove home, and this is a very Bay Area example. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take the 101, every time you're going to get home two minutes earlier from work, if you go mm-hmm. on the 101, then if you take the 280, if you take the 280, you will always take two minutes longer. But anyone who's in the Bay Area will tell you, hands down, they would much rather take the 280 any day than be on the 101. Hmm. Because the traffic pattern is so bad. Oh. But data would tell you, if the metric you're measuring is like, you know, speed to home, time to home, you would you would tell people to take the 101. You would say everyone should take the 101. But but the the experience and and the value proposition to the driver is like the much more pleasant drive and two minutes isn't meaningful. Yeah. So I think that it's always important to kind of step back and look at like what's actually happening. I love how how this conversation and it seems like so much of your work is really around that human experience, the the human experience of the data scientist who doesn't need to be writing that same SQL query all the time you know, complementing your data with these other kinds of insights. I, I just think that's super interesting. Yeah. And I think it's what makes it fun too. You know, you don't want to do the same thing day in, day out. You get to interact with the business and you, you don't want to be sitting, you know, locked in a room and expected to come out one week later with fantastic business insights. And it also helps you build those relationships, right? The person on my team that worked on account, the account scoring at the time, like Everyone knew him. They're like, that's the account scoring guy. And that, that's great recognition to have. People will come to you. You have that, that, those relationships. And that's another way to also start building trust um, in the work that you do. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you want to be sure to get in there or any additional clarity that you would like to add to anything? Given the flavor of our discussion, I think if I were to add something, yeah, I think my, my first manager at Facebook, you know, he... He said something that was a little bit offensive to my my sensibilities at the time, but but it, it I get it and it makes sense and it has benefited me a lot. It's like you know, you don't you don't need to learn just to learn. If you go solve a problem, you will learn on the way. Hmm. So I think you know I often hear people asking about this skill set, that skill set, how do I do this, that, the other thing. If you focus on the problem you're solving, you're going to, especially, uh, especially the folks from, from academia or other, other kind of problem solving areas, right? Like you, you'll figure it out. If you, if we need to use real, real time data for something, somebody absolutely needs it. <laughs> we're going to figure out how to build the best, best system possible. And I think, you know, we'll go out, get the tools, set up the infrastructure, test it out. We'll do all of these things. And that's, what's interesting. And I think that's a great way to learn. And, and certainly has given me a broad, broad set of experiences in the last seven years. So I, I think that's something I think about as as well as like you know you don't have to go in with stats and that you'll you'll figure it out you'll learn what a t test is or ANOVA or oh you're gonna learn about NLP or you know there are some things it's always great to have a specialist around but I, I wouldn't say like I, I think there, there's so much growth in just the experience of different jobs and and problem solving in the industry that it's super rewarding and and I, I don't think people should ever like hold themselves back because of I don't know this language or that language or this skill or this approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think that will be super encouraging to a lot of folks who are always concerned, like, do I have that precise list of things for this job or do I need to practice this other thing before I can do anything else? You know, I, I think that's really helpful to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. I know our audience is really going to enjoy all of the things that you've had to share and I'm super grateful for you spending the time talking with us. Thank you. It's been, it's been really fun. Really fun end of my day. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to my chat with Kristen Werner of Snowflake for today's Data Science Mixer. For this episode's cocktail conversation, let's go back to earlier in my chat with Kristen. She suggested that data engineering and automation can improve the human experience of doing data science. How have you experienced that? Have you seen improvements in these areas that have made doing data science more enjoyable and productive for you? Share your thoughts on the Alteryx community at community.alteryx.com podcast. And finally, if you'd like to experience how the combination of Alteryx and Snowflake could make doing data science better for you, we've got a starter kit on our website that you can explore. Visit alteryx.com snowflake for all the details, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Cheers.